Welcome to the Exponential Podcast. My name is Peyton Jones, and as Exponential's content director, I'll be your guide through the curation of the world's largest multiplication library of resources and training. We currently have four shows running Monday through Thursday, each with a different thrust towards accelerating multiplication. On Monday, join us for front lines tackling current issues facing pastors and planners. On Tuesday, tune in for Biblically Speaking, Theological Foundations for Transformative Race Conversations. On Wednesdays, Ralph Moorhead's Practical Multiplication, A Pastor's Guide to Accelerating Multiplication. And lastly, Candid Conversations is on Thursday, Unpacking Definitions of Diversity. Be sure to catch them all as they will serve as equipping companions on your discipleship journey towards multiplication. Today, we'll be catching up with Ralph Moore and Myron Pierce on Practical Multiplication. Practical Multiplication highlights Exponential's core church multiplication frameworks with a focus on the everyday practical nature of how these concepts can help pastors and church planners make disciples and multiply churches. Now, let's join Ralph Moore and Myron Pierce. Hey, welcome to our webinar. We're so glad that you're here to join us today on the Pastor's Guide to Accelerating Church Multiplication. And we got some real, real exciting things for you. Uh, I'm getting all excited. I'm putting together a coaching thing for pastors, church planters, pastors of smaller churches. My buddy Myron Pierce, who has planted churches literally around the world, from Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, things are growing there, digi churches. Just always so fun for me to be with Myron. Um, he really has become the son of my faith. Um, we're, we're just having a good time together. But we've got a great guest. I met Jason Shepard two, three years ago at an exponential event, and we just kind of hit it off. And, um, you know, and then as we talked a little further, I put him on my podcast. In fact, uh, we're at an event in Houston. It was noisy. They were piping the thing through the whole building. And so we went out in the car, and we recorded a podcast in the car, and it's a little spacey, but it works. But um, Jason is a leader of, of, of really a cluster a mega cluster of micro churches. And it's something different than any of us have seen. Uh, it, it may be where Myron is headed. Uh, it'll be different, but it may be that kind of direction. It may be the future for all of us as we at least learn from this. And so, uh, Jason, uh, introduce yourself. Tell us about the church project and, and how you got started and why you do the things that you do. Uh, thanks, Ralph. Thanks for the introduction. And Thanks for inviting me to be on here with you and Myron. I'm honored to have this conversation today. Yeah, my name is Jason Shepard. I planted what we call Church Project in 2010. And I had worked on some great church staffs and some great churches. And, you know, I grew up loving Jesus at a small Baptist church in East Texas. And then after college, went to work at uh, some churches and continued working at essentially mega churches, but a dissonance continued to grow in me as I studied the scriptures and I studied uh, history and I studied the church around the world and the ideas that we see around us, I just wasn't getting to experience. So, um, yeah, Ralph, I was really ready to, I, I didn't know what to do. So I just did something that I had never seen done before. I just knew I couldn't keep doing what I was doing. And so I put together every element that I had studied about the church from scripture to history, um, everything I could find. I boil it down and synthesize it into its purity and simplicity. And uh, that is what we now call church project. And what's it look like? <clears throat> if I wanted to get involved, what would I do? Well, we wanted to, we say some of my favorite words are reduce and refine. And so I wanted to reduce the church into its, my science major of terminology, its empirical form. What is its purest form when you boil a chemical down, a compound down? What is its purest form that's left? And for me, I started to see, of course, that you cannot read scripture without seeing house churches. They're everywhere in scripture. Letters are addressed to them. Churches started in them and were sustained in them and spread through them. And so I had never experienced anything like a house church. I had experienced smaller groups, though, whether that be Sunday school in my traditional format growing up or in my more contemporary model churches of small groups. But they were very different than everything I had studied. I've 
done a lot of doctoral work on early church culture and history, also in scripture. And there were some elements that you find in a house church that I never found in a Sunday school or a small group. And I don't, I'm not disparaging Sunday schools or small groups. I like to say they have a form of godliness, but they deny its full power. There are good things happening there, but they're denying the fullness of them. And so some people don't like that I say that, but those are people who have never experienced house church, as I believe scripture describes it. And so as I saw what a house church was, I knew we had to pursue it. But when I looked at house church, everybody, everybody that was doing house church that I knew, they were individual, independent, autonomous house churches. And, you know, some of them were making their own milk or you know, churning their own butter or making their own dresses. And I'm like, is there any relevant expression of house church here in America? So I saw these people, they weren't connected. When I read the New Testament, though, actually the entire Bible, I also see large gatherings. God loved it. He'd get his people together often all throughout the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus, when he came to make disciples, we say every week, Jesus made disciples in the these three main ways. He taught people on the mountainside by the thousands. And then he lived life together with people by the dozens. And then he met people's needs and did one-on-one discipleship. So I knew that the large gathering couldn't be disparaged, Old or New Testament, Jesus's ministry in the early church launched with thousands in one place at a time. But what they were doing was very different than what we're trying to do on Sunday gatherings in our churches. I mean, trying to entertain and appeal to people and become attractive to the culture is completely counterintuitive to any reading of the New Testament that I can find. And so I couldn't disparage the large gathering, but we were really getting it pretty wrong. Either it was completely irrelevant and super traditional, or it was super attractive and attractional models. And we weren't really teaching the way Jesus did, like come eat my flesh and drink my blood kind of stuff, lay down your life and your cross and follow me if you want to follow me. So I'm like, it, we, can we hold on to one and the other? And that's what Church Project is. We're holding on to both. So we started with just 40 people, all but six of I didn't, all but six of them I did not know. So I started with six people I knew. The people that knew and loved me from before, they didn't want to do this. And I, when I'm talking to church planners, this is a sub-conversation, but I will often say there are not many pioneers out there. So when you're a church planner and all these people love you and you think they're going to help me plan a church – they're not because they're not pioneers. It's hard to find a pioneer. And that's why church planners get disillusioned and then they get discouraged because people love them, but they love you in the context that they loved you before. They're not willing to go with you to that context. So, and by the way, I didn't want people to, I didn't want to be divisive of any other churches and I didn't want to transfer DNA. I wanted to start something new. So I left a multi-million dollar stage, uh, thousands of people. The last time I preached, the next time I preached, Four months later was to 40 people on a handmade wooden stage in an obscure warehouse that I had never known about his existence before. And then I told him, I said, look, we're going to talk about Jesus and the church, and then we're going to live it out. We have no phone number. We have no office. I'm not your guy. I'm going to, I'm going to be the overseer of a movement of house churches, and I'm going to preach to you the scriptures, and I'm going to hold sound doctrine. So that's what I'm going to do. And so that's what we began doing. So we had 40 people, and we said, look, you 20 go start a house church. You 20 go start a house church. The guys who were doing it had only led Sunday schools or small groups. So I'd go to one house church one week, one the next week, and then I would have lunch with these guys every week. And I would talk to them about what we were trying to do and what they were doing wasn't what we were trying to do. How do we refine it? And then those started to grow, and then we multiplied. I had to redefine what is a house church pastor versus what is a leader of a small group? Why are we called a church versus a group? Why are you called a pastor versus a leader? And so we had to redefine all of these things, and it was so slow. I mean, nobody in our town really wanted it. They were like, what is a house church? I had people get mad at me. Other pastors angry at me. How can you call them a pastor? Like, well, why do you call yourself a pastor? Why do I call myself a pastor? So we're redefining house church, redefining pastor. And, you know, the first two years, it was like nothing happened. And I really didn't think it was going to happen. Honestly, Ralph, I just thought this isn't going to happen. And then something took and people started living in community and then it just exploded. And so now we're thousands and thousands of people and we have 
house churches all over the Northeastern area. We've started a couple of other churches in the Northeastern area. And there are some other places around the United States that are also, we have a church project in Winter Park, Colorado, and Greeley, Colorado, and Orange County, California. We have some in other countries. And so we're just really holding on to these principles of what is a church and what is it not. How, how long have you been doing this? Uh, Ten years. That's pretty fast to me. Uh, it's interesting. You and Myron don't know each other, but you have an awful lot in common. Uh, he, he's doing the same thing. He's doing it all over the place. Uh, Myron, jump it. in here. We need to hear you. Jason, you're my kind of guy, Brody. <laughs> I love it. Ralph's been talking about you to me, so I can't wait to get together. <laughs> That's what's happening, man. Hey, I got a question for you. Uh, First of all, man, I love your passion, man. It's like, I think passion is electric. I think it helps MDNA and people. Um, here's my question, and I wrote it down because I, I just you, you, you're like a fire hydrant. Praise God. Um, how do you live on the cusp of doing what you've never done before? How do you, how do you keep that edge about you so that 10 years later, such as you are now, you, you, don't, you never lose that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I can tell you, Myron, one, one way to answer the question is to say I could not keep doing what I was doing before. Uh, I just knew I'm done. I mean, I, I, told, I put together an advisory board of guys, uh, really solid men. I told them, I don't want you to come with me. So I need your wisdom. I need accountability. I don't have what I could call elders yet because I don't have any people in our church. So, but I can't, all the principles and reasons for elders, I needed to have that around me until I could name and identify and, and raise up elders. And thankfully we have some incredible elders in our, in our body now. And I can actually, I'd love to, the conversation to go pastor, overseer, elder, bishop, what does that mean in the local church? Cause I think we're expressing that without using mm. that specific nomenclature, but I put together an advisory board and this is what I told them. I said, look, I don't care if I have to work at macaroni grill at night. I'm doing this. I mean, I had a family, dude. I have, at that time I had six, I got seven kids. And I'm like, I, whatever I got to do, I can't not do this. I knew I was called. And the, like I had lunch with one of our elders yesterday and we talked about calling. And one of the things he said was, you know, you, Somebody knows they're called because they're continuing to do it. I'm doing this because I know I'm called to do it. It's too hard otherwise. There's not enough glamour or glitz. I don't want my flesh to be fed in that anyway, but I'm doing it because I'm called. So I'm called to pastor the local church, but I don't want to head in the wrong direction all my life. So part of it is just I love Jesus, I love his church, and I love my life enough to not waste it going down a road that's going to be that's going to lose some of its potency. And so – um, I'm so convinced and convicted about it, Myron. Uh, that's it. I mean, I have this deep conviction and I'm convinced and some people may call it, you know, overconfidence or whatever I call it. I'm glad to have something to be deeply convicted about with the local church. Bill Hull was somebody that I have spoken with a good amount over the years. And I told Bill Hull at lunch one time, he was here in the woodlands. And I said, Bill, sometimes I feel like because I'm so passionate about this, people may, call it arrogance. And he said, Jason, we need more ecclesiological clarity, not less. We need more ecclesiological clarity, not less. So keep being clear about what the church is and what the church isn't. And so uh, I'm just sort of living like, I just tell guys all the time, like the movie hits, you know, where Will Smith's telling them, don't get out of this. This is what the church is and just stay right here. And so that's what I'm doing. I don't know if that fully answered your question, Myron, but you're muted. I'm sorry, buddy. We, we, that's great. We already have people keying in, asking questions. So uh, this is about to get heavy. So someone asked, hey, hey, Jason, how, how do we, um, like, gain access to resources that help to refine and define what, what it means to be a church, uh, specifically from conversation we're having, and then distinguishing pastors from life groups? So they're basically asking – Hey, we need some resources because this is a fire hydrant. Where, where, would, you, where would you point them? We usually would give this at the end, but they can't wait. They want to know now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm actually working on that. I spent an hour and a half on the phone with Todd Wilson uh, a couple of weeks ago. And 
you know, I've been so head down at church projects here um, and helping plan other church projects that I haven't created resources yet that can be shared beyond. But I'm really working on that because we get contacted literally in one day. I was on the phone with somebody from Australia, from, you know, New York from Mississippi. We're getting contacted from all over. I had a church in Mississippi, a mega, mega church. They heard a podcast. They called me. They said, can you please come in tomorrow? And I said, no, I can't. <laughs> but I have been helping yeah. them actually. And they actually transitioned over about a three month time from a mega, mega wow. church to a legitimate house church model. They, I walked with them many times, deconstructed wow. a lot. So for some really big churches, I'm, I'm, I'm walking with them personally. I'll tell you, Myron, the hardest thing for me was the answer to this question because I couldn't find anything. I couldn't yeah. find anything on the hybrid of how do we ha- hold all these biblical elements, the large gathering, right. but it's, it's biblical. It's unashamedly biblical. It's raw. It's gospel-centered. It's not attractive or attractional, yet we have thousands of people coming on Sunday, even now in the pandemic. Um, so I, I couldn't find anything. Other than mm. my scripture, I read, I read some of Ralph's stuff, though. I took a lot of elements from Ralph Moore's stuff. So I would say grab a lot of Ralph Moore books. I read some Alan Hirsch, missional DNA stuff. And so the four things I recommend to people right now are um, get, get Ralph Moore books, number one. Get uh, Alan Hirsch, missional DNA book. I can't remember the name of which book that is. I can look it up in a second. Um, there was one of those that were really helpful to me, but that I actually, that helped me about six years after we started. I didn't hear about Alan Hurst till he came to Houston for a thing. And then that helped put some language to what I was doing and helped clarify some things for me even further. And then uh, letters to the church by Francis Chan described some of the reasoning to not continue doing what we were doing, but it didn't give any structure. And so I'll tell you, I have a book called church project. It's just church project book. You can Google it. We're working on getting it into my own hands now so I can price it better. Cause it's really, I make about 80 cents a book off of it. And, but so I'm not getting much money off of it and it cost me $12,000 to write, but I wrote it to answer the question that a lot of these people are asking. And so church project book, those are the resources, but soon uh, I'm, I'm already working on how to get this out. And uh, yeah. Do you want me to talk the, more about that or do you want to get to the, the next well, question? The, the probing, there are so many questions coming in. I don't know if we're going to have time to answer all these. I'm here all day, um, man. The, the the number one probing question that people are asking right now is Jason. Okay, cool, cool, bro. What is church and what is what what isn't church? <laughs> that's that's what well, they're asking, bro. I you know I would refer you back to my last podcast on exponential with Ralph. Uh, we discussed that because I think people it, it is church where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also. Is that what Jesus was saying is a church? Well, it's a beautiful thing where two or three people get together and worship. Is the presence of the Lord there? Yes. Is that a church? It is not. When you look at the biblical elements of a church, there is purpose and mission. There's leadership structure. There's discipline and accountability. And so maybe if you have a church, a church has a pastor. It might be a house Mm. church or it might be what you call a micro church, but a church has a pastor. Paul would walk into town if he was there for a year and a half or two and a half, or is in Ephesus where he was the longest three and a half years. What would he do? I'm going to raise up elders and overseers. I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. So a church has leadership. Paul walked into a town one place for one day and led people to Jesus. And you know what he did? You, you, you're the overseers now. So a church mm-hmm. has leadership. And their job is a spiritual oversight of the church. So the church has leadership. I will tell you this. I think what we call microchurch, we have to be really careful. I think they're groups, and I think they're good. But I think we have to be careful. I do believe that a microchurch is a church if it has the biblical elements of a church, which would have leadership. It would have to have mission. It would have to have mission. What is the mission? Well, go into all the world and make disciples and baptize them. So I'm going to disciple people, right? A, a microchurch isn't somebody getting together and just playing a game or drinking some wine or doing whatever. It has a mission. I'm going to make <laughs> disciples, and we're going to do evangelism. So it has right. leadership. It has mission. I'll tell you the difference between a group for me and a church. One is it's not monolithic. 
You look at a church mm. in the scripture, everything that we see happening in church, it was diverse. A, right. Every Sunday school, every Sunday school I was ever a part of growing up in a very traditional mindset or every small group I've ever been a part of or see, they are homogenous. They yes. are, these are the singles or the older people, they're, they're friends. And Paul used one verse one time to, to say friends and family, but the rest of scripture, he called them family. The church is described mm. as a family, older people, younger people. I used to preach every father's day at a mega church where I used to work great church. And I preached for whatever reason, he wanted me to preach every father's day. Part of me, I would talk about the fact that I had mentors in my life, men in my life who had poured into my life. I talked about it every father's day and every time and other times I would preach on the topic. People would come up to me and say, where do I find one of those? Where do I find mm. somebody like that? And I think, what an indictment against the church that it had to be some separate parachurch program to have discipleship embedded in our structure. And that's our right. responsibility as leaders. So a house church would be diverse. How diverse is a, how diverse is a church? Well, all of our house churches are diverse generationally. We have older people. We got grandparents, parents, kids, grandparents, aides in a church. Older people, younger people. We got rich people and we got poor people. Uh, we have... Mm. I mean, we love it, right? When we read Acts, they were selling their goods and meeting one another's needs. How does benevolence happen in a church now? The churches where mm. I've worked, you fill out a form, you go sit in an office, you talk to an executive pastor who you've never met, and there's nothing beyond that. They'll write you a check, and you feel like a, you feel horrible that you took money from the church, and there's nobody to walk with you. Not in house churches. We have people literally selling things or giving cards or don't, you know, collecting money and helping people. So. All the elements of a church should be present in a house church. And I'll continue fully answering that question, but I'll say this. You'll know if you have a movement of house churches or groups. If your house church fulfills all the elements of a church, then you have a house church. And that's why we have 50 or 60 house churches right here that are all, we don't have, a, we have thousands of people, thousands of people. We have no phone number. We have no office to walk into. We have nobody to contact, but yet we have people getting visited at the hospital, getting counseled, getting their needs met. It's all the functions of a church are happening in a house church. So what is my role? To oversee that. And the few staff that we have hired, our role is to support and oversee all these people who are caring for thousands of people. Mm. You know, this is what we did in, in uh, Hope Honolulu, the last church that I pastored. We had no phone number, no office. <clears throat> we thought, why waste money on overhead when we can put this money back into the ministry of the people? But one question that, that, that I have is, is you run into the, to the complacent person who's in a, micro, in, a, in a mega church or just a legacy church. Maybe it's, you know, 120 people. And everything you're talking about, Jason, we got all that in our church. You know, right. We got small groups that do this. We got this that do that. We got uh, one of my big frustrations right now, you know, is <clears throat> because I'm, I'm I'm really getting involved in what's going on in in micro churches in the world. I'm seeing them pop up. My friend in England is is starting micro churches with kids in high school, and they are Great. churches. I mean, they got community. They got mission. Great. They come together with purpose. There's sacrifice, and they got the word of God. Beautiful. But you know, I what frustrates the heck out of me is 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 what people call marketplace ministry. Oh, we got a little Bible study at work, and we brown bag it together, and it's just a bunch of Christians from other churches coming together and having a good time. That doesn't seem very missional to me. How do you get people mm -hmm. over that over that complacent mindset into being frustrated? We need something more. Well, you know, I don't know how I got there, Ralph, other than reading my Bible and the Spirit of God moving me there. But I got there. I had a very safe, a very comfortable environment that I could have spent the rest of my life working in. But the Spirit of God and the Scriptures of God made me uncomfortable living with only a, f a fraction of this kind of community. And so, one, I, I can see it happening. I can tell you right now, all over Houston, there are churches that are— there, there's a house church movement happening in Houston right now where there wasn't 10 years ago. Part of it is just we, what we're doing right now. We continue to talk about it. And when people are 
hungry and starving, they start to look for it. I will tell you, I think the reason why those people are content is because we've led them to be. I mean, I feel very accountable as a pastor who God has called to make sure that the way that I lead the church is, is proper. I, I, I'm right. I, I'll, I'll, I'll risk talking about this, um, though I'm writing something on this now, and I hope it, it'll be ready soon. But in our churches, we have cared about every aspect of theology. <coughs> Excuse me. We have our soteriology and our hermartiology. Uh, we, we, we talk about when Christ is going to return and nature of sin and the virgin birth and all of this properly um, attuned as we should. And all of this doctrine is carried in and through the church as it should be. But we haven't paid attention to our doctrine of the church. So all other doctrines that are carried through the church are carried, I think, widespread improperly through an improper ecclesiology. So we we paid attention to all kinds of theology except for the theology of the church, except for our ecclesiology. And so the reason those people are sitting there and they're satisfied is, one, I think they've never tasted anything else. Two, the Spirit of God hasn't gotten them to a hungry place enough. And three, the pastors who have led them haven't led them properly in their ecclesiology. So pastors that pride themselves on proper doctrine, let's make sure that we also have our ecclesiology properly attuned. Mm. Mm. Jason, where do, uh, as you go over the last 10 years, where people who are part of your house church, are they, are they from different churches? Are these new believers are, you know, talk to us about that. Yeah. You know, it's all the above. I mean, I I don't make a whole lot of distinctions in some of these things because Jesus just told Peter to feed my sheep. So I can tell you, we're just throwing food out. That's what Mm. we're doing. And so I'm feeding sheep. I can tell you there are starving sheep that come into our pastures. And then there are goats who turn into sheep, right? And so mm-hmm. I, we have a lot of people who were unchurched. They were formerly churched, but they were unchurched because they were sick and tired of seeing a form of it but denying its power. And they're like, I don't want to be a part of that anymore. And frankly, I don't blame them. So mm. how, how weak is the church in the world if all the believers won't even go to church? Because what they experienced wow. was, so, was so impotent. So for me, my job is to feed Jesus' sheep. So, you know, some people may say, oh, you have a lot of, you have, you have people from other churches. We do. We have a lot of people who are believers, but they haven't been in church in years. And we're their last right. ditch effort. You name a church, church project. By the way, I tell our church often that they go to a church without a name. People are like, oh, that's so weird. Mm. Church project, what's the name? Where did you get that name? I'm like, what was the name of the church in Jerusalem? We Mm. don't know. It didn't matter. Nobody said anything. I mean, it wasn't like they passed out, you know, cards or, um, you know, branded branded camels and had to walk around town and advertise to their meeting. It was people telling people, uh, hey, come with me here and listen to what we're talking about. So people were inviting their lost friends to a house church, inviting their lost friends to Solomon's Colonnade or the Temple Courts before that to hear the gospel preached. And so uh, we have a lot of unchurched but believers who have now been churched again. I mean, I'm on every one of our house church feeds. I can tell you the stories every day that are shared in some of our 50-plus house churches. It's incredible. Um, what are... And then, by the way, so I had a guy in Australia, I was on a Zoom with a few weeks ago, talking about this. And he said, what's your idea of evangelism? And I said, evangelist. What's your idea of evangelism? (laughs) Uh, Evangelist. I mean, the more somebody loves Jesus, the more they're going to love what he loves. And so we've tried to do evangelism like this. From the stage, the one dude or the production team is going to do this thing in this building, and that's evangelism. No, that's weak. It's weak. It's relying upon what, you know what I want? I don't want one of me. I want 6,000 of me in our church. And so I'm trying to make, and so those people, I go sit next to somebody. They know I'm a pastor. They're not going to talk to me, but my buddy who's a police officer or a teacher or an engineer and the guy who works at Exxon Mobil or the guy who works here, they're going to, they're with lost people all day long. So my job is to turn a disciple into an evangelist, which, by the way, is what Jesus said he would do, right? 
follow me and I'll make you into a fisherman. So let's stop making the stage about evangelism and let's start Mm. making every opportunity we have about believers, about discipleship, because evangelism happens in somebody's driveway or front yard or office or lunch. That's where evangelism is happening from thousands of people who are sitting in our seats who don't even know how to have a Jesus conversation. I tell our Mm. people, your job this week is to love Jesus and have a God and a gospel conversation with people. Let's have good conversations that turn into God conversations that turn into gospel conversations. Mm. When you think about, um, like, just this house church movement, uh, one person asked, how do you keep people from, like, falling into sin and house churches becoming cults? (laughs) <laughs> well, that's a, I like that's yeah. a harder problem in big churches than it is in the house churches. Get I, absolutely, on. absolutely. I mean, I know Ralph's spoken to that, spoken about that as well. Uh, yeah, and by the way, I would say, I mean, I, I think we all have to be aware that big churches are not bad. I mean, the first church was three thousand plus people in one day. Big isn't bad. I, I, I mean, our church is very big now. In fact, when it was small, people said, "Oh, I, I'm coming here because it's small." And I said, "Well, don't come here for that reason." Because I don't think we're going to stay small because I'm going to tell people to love Jesus so much that they're going to love their neighbor and lead people to Jesus and disciple them. We're going to be a big connection of people not too long from now. We were. Um, So I would love to sit down with whoever asked that question and say, I'm sorry for whatever pain you've been through. Um, I personally have never seen any, anything like that happen in a house church. The beauty of this is we as a church, we're studying the scriptures together. And so, Mm. On Sundays, I'll preach from the scriptures, always, never topical, never, always exegeting the scripture. Because I believe, I tell church planters, you're about to figure out how much you believe in the power of the spirit and the power of the scriptures. How much you're going to rely on the spirit of God to do the work that only the spirit of God can do. And how much you're going to, how much do you believe in the power of the scriptures? Because you're going to rely on yourself and your own ingenuity. And so Mm. we're teaching the scriptures. And then in house churches, whether they meet on Sunday night or Wednesday nights, they are discussing the scriptures together. And so yeah. the beauty of this is there's a built-in accountability, not only from the house church pastor to people sitting there, they're having a discussion. If somebody said something doctrinally wrong, the community can speak into this. That's what we're discussing. Mm. Together. But if a house church pastor gets off, you're telling me that these 12 or 15 or 18 people aren't going to go, whoa. And we've had that happen maybe once in um, – like a doctrinal correction from a house church to a house church pastor in, uh, in, in 10 years. But I mean, we're really careful and thorough with our house church pastors before they become house. Church. I, I love what you're saying here, Jason. You're saying we, as you know, this movement won't, we, you haven't fallen into heresy or cultish behavior because of community and built in accountability. Absolutely. Which by the yeah. way, are, are elements that have to be present in a church. I think, by the way, a lot of what we call church isn't church. We might other, the only difference between people watching on a screen or, or, or sitting in a room is that they got in their car and went somewhere. I mean, people sit in a room in churches for years, and they're never in community. I tell people that come sit in our seats, I'm like, you're not really a part of this church unless you know people's names and they know your names and you know their issues and they know your issues and you get help from them and they help you because we haven't created churches. We've created audiences, but a church has to have community. A church has to have community and that community will have accountability if discipleship is the purpose of it. So I tell our people when we have, when we're trying to further explain what a house church is, we say we're a, a discipleship community. We're a diverse family, and we're a discipleship community. We're not just discipleship, because some people just think that's just sitting in a class somewhere or teaching somebody something. It's discipleship community, so, and it's not just community. We're together so that we can help each other grow in our faith and love Jesus more. And so the biggest question I get from people along the lines of the question you just asked, Myron, is how do you keep pastors from just taking off and trying to start their own church? And, I, and the answer that I give is, one that's never happened, I'm sorry, one time with a former pastor who used to be in a church staff came here and he tried to do that and it didn't work. They all, it, it didn't work. But I say you, <laughs> people, people romanticize being a pastor. So yeah. you give this guy, you give this engineer or businessman or policeman, you give him a group of people to pastor, he's not going to want to pastor more people than that. 
I mean, mm. if I would have ever done this before I became, I, I wouldn't have wanted to keep doing it. You get into people's lives and it's so messy and it's so hard and it's so disillusioning and discouraging at times, especially if your eyes are on the wrong thing. You don't want to keep doing it. And so we right. don't have people do that. We, we tell people, thank you for the opportunity to pastor and thank you for being our overseer. I mean, we hear mm. that a lot. We don't hear people going, oh, I want to go do the, more of this. It just doesn't happen. So, but, but what about, what about uh, reproducing church project itself? Um, are, are you looking, I mean, Houston's a very big place. There's several million people there. Are, are, and, and you guys are probably, what, five, 6,000 people. Are, are you looking at raising guys up to multiply church project in the Houston area? Absolutely. And, um, you know, we've tried that a couple of times and once or twice it's worked really, really well locally. And a couple of times it hasn't worked and we've tried to figure out why part of that has been the leadership of the people that we've sent. Part of it has been, um, if they're so far away from us that they don't have a core that we can send with them, then that's been really hard to start. If they're too close, well, uh, that, that's another problem too. So about 15 minutes up the road, we call it North County. It's on the, we're in the woodlands on the North side of Houston. We have Conroe on the North side of Conroe. We have one great leadership from this pastor. His name is Matt rule. And we, we had three or four or five house churches of really strong people. So we sent Matt up there. He bought a house, started living in the house churches. And then we cut those house churches off and said, you're a new plant. And so we gave them a, like a little rented space in the, in an outlet mall where they could gather on Sundays and let other ministries use it. So now there's a counseling practice that meets in there and other stuff throughout the week, which by the way, I could do a whole podcast on redeeming space uh, instead of wasting it like we have and overshooting it. And so anyway, I'll talk about that later. But so Ralph, we're trying to figure that out. We're, we're really trying. It's, it's really hard. I'll tell you what, a lot of church planners, of course, they want to do, they want their own nomenclature. They want their own structure. They want, you know, they want their own name. And so that's a, that's a big part of it. I mean, what's it like 70 to 80% of church plants fail. And so we want to reduce the attrition of these guys, but the humility of saying, I'll do exactly what you're doing. Very few church planners have that humility, but we do have some strong guys who pastor church projects, Orange County, Winter Park, Colorado, North County. But I'll also tell you, we have, we have somebody coming to help us with that right now. I frankly don't know how to do that. And so somebody, our elders have met with a couple of times, and I've met with him a couple of times, and he's coming to help us learn how to reproduce in that way. Because um, scaling this is really – I mean, from two to four, four to eight, eight to 16, whatever, that was pretty easy. When you get up to the size we are, it gets really hard to transfer that DNA. Mm. How do you, like, what are some, two, this two-part question, what are some good steps uh, for a new leader or pastor um, to step into pastoring that, that you found successful? And then secondly, what's the best way to start a microchurch? Um, good questions. I would say first, be able to reduce and refine and explain with clarity your ecclesiology. Like, what are you thinking you're going to be doing? Because if you don't know it, then your people aren't going to know it. And it is going to get really, really hard. When we started Church Project, I said no more than I've ever said it in my entire life. And I'm a parent to seven kids, but I said no all the time because people would come in. Well, let's do this. No, let's do this. No. I mean, good things. No, we're not going to yeah. do that. I said no all the time. Why? Because I had reduced it to this pure, simple understanding of what church was. And we weren't going to do anything that was going to distract us from that. Most church planners say yes to too many things. And they end up pastoring a church they don't want to pastor, or it ends up not being effective because they're everywhere. So I would say, be crystal clear about what you believe a church is so that you'll know it and you won't get off and you can explain it to your people. That would be the first Ooh. thing. The second thing is you better make sure that your soul is good. Because if you're coming out of this ang something angry 
are wounded, you will only get more angry. You'll probably get angry at God because you'll be the older brother who was at home when the prodigal brother left. And you'll be like, look at what I did for you, God. And it's not going to go the way you want it to. It's going to be harder than you ever thought it was going to be. And you're going to, and you're going to have to wrestle with where do you, what do you do with this emotion of disappointment and discouragement and disillusionment? And so I know that Jesus loves this church and I don't think it's his fault that people don't love him or love the church. I was angry for the first two years of our church. I will tell you, I would come preach and I would think people said they want the church to change. I'm giving them a different church and they're not even coming to it, you know, or people say they want this church, but they're not inviting people. I was so angry and it wasn't good for me. And by the way, when that anger left me is when our church really exploded. And so mm. I would say you've got to be good in your own soul. I mean, I love Jesus. I wasn't living in sin other than this attitude in my mind, which was um, it wasn't healthy. It wasn't good. So be crystal clear about your ecclesiology. Number one, be, be really good in your own soul. Be very realistic that this is going to be the hardest work that you've ever done. I mean, when church planners, they meet with me, they come to our building and I'm like, get in the car. And we go drive to our first place. And I'm like, the room you just left is a 110,000 square foot building on 16 acres that, by the way, is used all over um, by, by every ministry in our community. Anything gospel-centered and other things use it for free all the time. And so, um, but I'm like, get in the car and let me take you to this little place where we started. And are you willing to pastor? Because 99 point something percent of churches will never get to the size our church is. So are you willing to pastor 200 people the rest of your life? Because 80 something percent of churches will be that way. And for me, I was, because I, that wasn't going to be a disappointment to me. And so I, I do think that most guys are just looking to build a big stage. And so I think they have to, you have to realign your expectations and be real honest with yourself. The next thing I would say would be this, get around you some very wise godly counsel who can hold you accountable. If you try to do this on your own, the enemy of God, who was also your enemy, will work to discredit the name of Jesus. If I didn't have the accountability that I had early on, our advisory board, um, and then it transitioned to elders almost two years in, but I, I never was without accountability or oversight. Um, I'm still not. You, the enemy of God will destroy you and destroy your church and try to discredit the name of Jesus. And so these are the things that I would do. And then I would say, start very small and go very slow and build into it. Um, I, I had a guy tell me, uh, maybe a year and a half in, I was very discouraged. I went and met with him. He's a pastor of a great church in Houston, different expression of church than ours, but he's a great, he loves Jesus, loves the church. He told me, he said, Jason, your church is going to be very big one day. And I said, I, I don't know. I don't think so. I was thinking about quitting. He said, your church will be very big, but you'll, you'll miss the days it wasn't. Mm. And when, when church planners talk to me all the time, they're like, what would you do differently? This is what I say. I say, I would have enjoyed every season more. Mm. Talk, about that a little, talk about that a little more, Jason. Well, part of that was my pride, Myron. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I left a mega, mega church. Whenever I would run into people that would see me, they'd be like, oh, how's it going? And I'm like, oh, it's going great. How many people do you have? Oh, 47 people were there Sunday. And they just sort of look at you with that compassion. Oh, <laughs> and, you know, I mean, so part of it was my pride. Um, and then part of it was I, I, uh, I also had to work things out of my mind that had been conditioned in me my entire life. I'm 46. I started the church when I was 36. And my understanding of success had been hardwired into me for 36 years of my life. And I, it didn't just go away because I left to plant a church. It was driving me. And so thankfully I had a different ecclesiology, but God didn't even let it grow until I got to a point where I just said, Jesus, I will make disciples. I will raise up house church pastors. I will help plant house churches. Whatever you want to do with this is up to you. And so, man, so much purifying had to go on in my soul. Thank God for the people who were there the first couple of years, especially who were willing to walk through that with me. And by the way, 
many of them, maybe most of them are still here. And so, man, it's so hard. We, we have our own flesh that is having to be sanctified, but we're doing it in front of people. And so that's the difficulty. I don't want you guys to miss, guys and gals, to miss what, what Jason just said. He said we have to be clear on our ecclesiology, have to make sure that we're keeping a close look on our own souls. We have to make sure that we have realistic expectations, surrounding ourselves with uh, godly counsel, and then um, enjoying the journey of small and slow. Here's another yeah. question for you, Jason, and then I'm a, I'm a pastor rock to, to Ralph. Um, can you describe the deconstruction process that you went through? <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, I think I just touched on it some, but I'll tell you, painful, painful. If God hadn't deconstructed these things in me, I would have done a different, slightly better version of the same thing. I really would have. And honestly, I think I would have been really, really good at it. But I would have ended up hating it, maybe quitting, maybe falling into sin. I, um, so I'm trying to think of new things to say that I haven't already said, but the deconstruction primarily happened by the Spirit of God um, making me wait and then refining not only my own spirit, my own soul, my own flesh, but refining my ecclesiology. And um, so, you know, I, I say the two most difficult words in Scripture are leave and wait. And so I did the two most difficult things. I left a lot of security and a lot of success, and I had to wait. I left and I waited all at the same time. And you know what? I'm in pretty good biblical company there because all of these people that I love and respect in Scripture – they had to leave and wait from David getting anointed. And then how long did he wait from Moses getting called? And then he waited from Abraham getting the vision. And then he waited from Joseph getting the vision. And then he waited. They all had to wait and all of them left. And, and so what did God do for me? The deconstruction process, he left, he made me leave and he made me wait. Um, the, the, re the reason why I had you bring that up um, is because something you mentioned earlier that like you were angry for two years and you could have, you could have created a better version of what you left. Um, but, but the, the highlights and what I'm hearing you say, um, Jason is the leaving and the waiting is a part of the, it's, it, it is the deconstruction period. Yeah. Like it, it and, and, and for some of us, we may be watching and, you know, we're like, oh, man, okay, I'm going to start a version of the church project. Well, what you're, what you're possibly saying is I'm going to go start a better version or remix of what I just got through hearing. But if we truncate that process of leaving and waiting, we may end up regurgitating what we left. Oh, man, dude, that's really good. If you leave and wait, you only regurgitate if you don't wait. And yeah. by the way, I, let, me, let, me, let me throw this in here, Myron, real quick. I don't think that everybody watching should leave and go plant a church. I really don't. Good. That's good. And I, I, I do think we have a lot of people who they have a lot of passion for Jesus and his church, but that doesn't mean that they're called. That's and, good. Um, and so I think we have to be really careful. There are a lot of people I know who want to plant a church with us. And we say, we don't, we don't, we don't think so. I'm not the Holy spirit. I'm not, that's it. But I don't think that everybody that feels called, should go plant a church. And hence we have a lot of pastors who I think probably should not be pastoring churches. So make sure you have some good, wise counsel around you before you leave something, mm. make sure it's in bed. Hey, faith is from God. So is wisdom. Faith wow. is from God. So is wisdom. So we all exercise this great faith and leave. And then we get mad at God because it didn't work. Well, did you also employ wisdom? Hmm. You know, I would I like to say to everybody that's listening that before you ever would attempt to go out and do what Jason did, if you're pastoring a church and you're feeling the frustrations that you're feeling, you need to deconstruct where you are and you need to construct where you are. You, you need to go start a house church yeah. in the environment where you are and, 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 and use that as the lab. Especially if you're 30, 35, 40 years old, you got a lot invested. You can't just walk off and go start something over. And you don't even understand what we're talking about here today. You think you do. Uh, right. You understand the terminology, but you don't understand it from the gut level. 
you don't understand it from the day that the money runs dry. That happened to me. And, and I've always thought the one sad thing about raising my two children, I'm thrilled with my children. They both serve the Lord. They've, you know, my son pastored a big church until just a few weeks ago in Hawaii. My daughter is exec pastor of a church. She's turned into a great preacher. The one thing I wish I could have given my children was poverty. And, uh, you know, because the Lord had blessed my wife and I, uh, we weren't able to pass on the poverty. We tried. We, we would forbid people in the church from buying them presents because people would show up with stuff that, you know, because we didn't have money. We, we went through the poverty. And stuff that I could afford to buy for Christmas, I got people just dumping on my kids all the time. I put a stop to that. Hmm. And, uh, and, and, and so I taught them to work early. And my son, eight years old, uh, we went in half and bought him a lawnmower. And he started mowing my lawn and the next door neighbor's lawn for money. I, I wanted my kids as, as much as I could to learn to be a self-reliant, God-reliant kind of a person. Yeah. But to me, part of this deconstruction, you know, I, I, we send guys out with $350,000, dollars to go start a church. They, right. they, they want to start a party. They start an event. Uh, they, they do not build a community. Where you're at, go start on the side and get permission from your elders to do something that they may see as radical and, and be bivocational. Do what you do and start a house church. You will learn things that, 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 that the three of us have learned over many, many years. Uh, you can actually condense that process down. Read a few books, but have a lab. Ha, have a house church as a lab. You, you're the learner, learner there. Um, good stuff comes out of that. I, I love that, Ralph. And I had to do that um, when we started. But again, most church planners, they're looking for, and I'm not saying this is wrong, but they're looking for whatever organization or church. I can tell you that I meet with more church planners who feel com- they're completely obligated to their sending organization, whether that be church or denomination or, organ- or association. They're completely obligated, and they don't even want to start the church the way they're starting it. But they're doing it that way because somebody's giving them money. I could name for you 10 guys right now that I know personally that don't want to lead a church the way they're leading it, but they went to plant a church and they got to do it this way. And I tell you what, I'd rather be waiting tables at night and doing church this way than do it the way that people were trying to make me do it before. And I'll say that if you can't start a house church, raise up a house church pastor and do it again, and then do it again and do it again, you do not need to be being a pastor. You just don't Mm. because our job be a house church pastor. But if you want to call yourself a pastor of a church of house churches, I coined that phrase to help people understand we're one church of many house churches. So we say we are a church of house churches. And so a lot of house churches under one eldership, one direction, but pastored by a lot of people in a lot of semi-autonomous churches. If you want to be the, a pastor of a church of house churches, make sure you know how to raise up house church pastors. Mm. What does that look like at a micro level? Like, like the concept you're saying is, Hey, if, if you, if you want to be a, a, a house church pastor of house churches, then what, what I'm hearing you talk about is like that multiplication principle, the ability to raise up leaders. Yeah. How, how does one, how does, like, if a person is not there, how do they build capacity to be, to, to, to get there one day? Well, you know, Paul told Timothy, man, everything you saw in me, you heard from me. I mean, you, you need to have somebody that's poured into you. The, the problem is for a lot of us, we haven't had anybody pour this into us. And so I didn't have anybody pour this into me. And there are a few people like you, Myron, or you, Ralph, there are a few people that will start something brand new that nobody poured that into them before. But more than likely, we had people who poured a lot of Jesus into us and a lot of other principles into us. And so I would say, you know, our job as pastors is to equip people to do the work of service. So if you can't sit down with a guy, if I'm a guy, sit down with a guy and disciple him and then get him to share Jesus with his buddies and then they come and then their wives or their girlfriends come and we start a house church, then what do you think you're going to be doing? And so most people walk into a pre-existing structure where there's already people and there's already stuff. And then I come in. That's honestly pretty easy. 
I mean, I walk in here, the plate's already spinning. I just keep it spinning with some good sermons and good leadership. What's really hard, you go into something raw and you do something nobody's ever done and you find a guy and disciple him and then he shares Jesus with his friends and you disciple them. And then now he's discipling him. And now you got a group of people and you got a house church. And then now so many people come, you got two house churches. Anybody can do this if you're really called to be a pastor. Mm. Disciple somebody, have them start sharing Jesus with their friends, start a, a group, which I call a house church. And then that multiplies. And then before long, you have two house churches and then you're meeting with the house church pastors. And then you have four. Now I think you can call yourself a pastor. Mm. You know, I book called making disciples and uh, talk about this a lot. It, it, you know, terminology changes. We're using the word micro church. So now I say a micro church within a larger congregation or an autonomous micro church, you know, having to think that way. Uh, we, we use terminology going back to 1976. We started calling uh, what other people would call a small group, we called a mini church. What other people would call a small group leader, we, we identified as a pastor biblically. And, and, and then, you know, functionally, they did everything that we commonly think of as a pastor, the baptisms, maybe dedications, the funerals, all those kind of things, church discipline, uh, all, all, all of that. And so we were functioning very much like what you are. Uh, we at one point, we, we had about 2,000 people in church. We had 105 of these mini churches. And much like what Jason is saying, we anchored it from the Word on Sunday uh-huh. or Friday, Saturday, Sunday, because we were doing seven services. Uh, I, I'd like you to go back and talk about utilizing space in a minute. But we, we felt like... Um, the multiplication of the organization, the church, the big one, the overall, whatever we called it, was going to come because we saw multiplication within the mini churches. If if you can if you can raise a disciple and and invest in him and leave and go start another one, you do that two or three times. At the same time, we're training you and investing in you. Now you can take the big church, big C church, whatever it was. And go down the road and do that over and over again. We did that about 50, 60 times in a That's Hawaii. incredible. What, what disappointed me was that a few of those guys really had the DNA of multiplication. Uh, a lot of them were one and done. They, they were success, were pleased and all that, but it didn't go as far as it could go. Anyway, I want to get off that a little bit. I'm seeing opportunity in COVID uh, because – you know, there are the, the tidal waves that were already moving, the, the whole thing of, of shopping online, of companies doing more and more online, all that, all that COVID did was become a tipping point for what was already going to happen. Churches are the slowest to figure this out. It's like, well, when we get back to normal, when we get back right. to, you know, that isn't going to happen. But the, the, what, what you're talking about, that crummy little warehouse where you got started, there's going to be a whole lot more of those available, and they're available mm-hmm. to us. Uh, talk about how you manage and utilize and view space, because so many people, you know, they want to have the palace before they have the people. Um, just talk to us about space utilization. Well, I, I, think, um, I think we are combating a temple theology, which is space is sacred. Space is not sacred but we do sacred things in space. And so um, that's why you read through Acts, you see they got kicked out of the temple courts, which was their sacred space. And then they moved next door to Solomon's Colonnade Mission three times in Acts and a lot in church history. And it was a lecture hall that could hold thousands of people. And there was nothing sacred about it. It was a rentable lecture hall. And that's where the, and then the rest of Acts, they would get kicked out of this place and they'd move next door to another larger place. And so space is not sacred, but sacred things happen in space. And so part of the problem is we made space sacred for so long. Mm-hmm. We, a church, a building has to look like this. It has, this can happen in here and this cannot happen in here. And so we made space sacred. Sometimes people swing the pendulum and they say space is bad. And so we should not have space. So we should meet outside. I, I say this. We, we use space for our gatherings for the same reason that we wear clothes. 
because of nature, because yeah. of the fall. We just have to have a place. So if you, if you can argue biblically that the gathering is wrong, then you can argue with me that space is wrong. I don't hmm. believe the large corporate gathering biblically is wrong. Old Testament, Jesus, early church, all did it. And so um, the way we've done it, I think, is wrong. Why we've done it is wrong. How we've hmm. done it is wrong. And so space isn't bad. Our focus on space has been bad. We've either assigned evil or righteousness to space. It's space is bad or space is sacred. No, space for me, sacred things happen in a space. So then it becomes, well, how can we steward space for the yeah. kingdom? And so, one, I wanted a space that would not have to combat with the previous idea of sacred space. So I couldn't have a place that looked like a traditional church building, which by the way, most people call church. I always correct our people and our staff and myself. Hey, let's meet up at the church. Mm -mm. Let's meet up at the building. Yesterday, somebody walked in somewhere and said, Oh, are you in, are you in your new church yet? And I said, uh, we, we have resumed meeting in the building where our church gathers on Sundays. Um, So I'm I'm constantly correcting even nomenclature and people's idea of it. So our idea was how can we find simple, cheap space that can also be shared? So part of the stewardship, I would say it's simple uh, and it can be shared. Like, do you know how many ministries in whatever city you're watching from, whatever country you're watching from, they need a space to do things? We had somebody come to us and say, uh, can we use your building for a meeting? And we said, of course, you can use this building for a meeting. It, it, it's a tool for the gospel. It's here to, for our community. Uh, sure. Well, and they said, well, how much is it going to cost? And I said, well, what do you mean? How much is it going to cost? And we said, it's free. They're a homeless ministry. Another church here in our community wanted to charge them 350 an hour just to have a, a meeting, and they didn't have the money. So do you want to bless your community? Incredible. Do it. Create space that people are going to be able to use and you can steward for the gospel. I mean, we're talking about, we've already had a farmer's market. I mean, COVID stopped it, but we started a farmer's market. We had, we had lesbians. uh, We had Muslims with burqas. We had all different kinds of people here (laughs) in this building where gospel conversations happen all the time. We have believers all around here too. And then we had people selling their honey or selling their goat cheese or whatever. And I'm like, let's steward space better as a body, because what we're doing is we're creating, we're perpetuating this temple theology. We got to build a church like this. And then it's only used for the insular. Mm. It's only used for the insular church. It's not even helping the church in the community. We've got to change that. Mm. By the way, they say it was years ago, but the last statistic I read on it was 98% of churches keep 97% of money within their walls for their building and their staff. So what if we were do, you know how we are able to have given millions. I I don't know how to quantify it now, like six, seven million, millions of dollars outside the walls of our church to gospel centered ministries and church planning. How we been able to do it? Simple, smaller staff on the ratio and very simple buildings. And so, by the way, if you're trying to plant a new church, you want rugged, raw pioneers. And so you don't want, you don't want a building uh, that is, that is just a crappier version of the last building they have be completely different. Right. Right. Yeah, Go meet in an old renovated gas station or yeah. <laughs> well, man, listen, bro. Uh, using it over and over is a valuable thing. We, we were, we were always looking to reduce building overhead. We, we will, you know, we'd have church seven times on a weekend. We, the church would meet in the building I so love we it. have to have a building seven times as large. Mm. That's beautiful. Yeah. I agree with that too. That's good. Well, hey man, um, believe it or not, hour has gone by, and uh, I wish we had another hour. Man, this has been good, bro. Can you tell, um, share with us? Uh, you know, if someone has more questions or they want to connect with you, how how we can get a hold of you? We know you uh, don't have a phone number. We know you don't have a phone number, but. yeah you know um yeah so i'm capturing i don't have an assistant i don't have a phone number um and we don't and i need to get this material out so we're working on 
how to get our material, my material better that I can share with other people, how to have a conversation in the future. So right now, here's what you could do. You could email me and we'll put you in a file so that when we're ready to answer people's questions better, um, and I have some of those now, we'll get back to you. So my, uh, you can find me through our Church Project website at churchproject.org, just churchproject.org. You can find out more information about church planting with Church Project Network. Dot com churchprojectnetwork.com you can just google churchprojectbook.com i encourage people to buy that again i i need to figure out a way to make more money off of it because i get nothing and amazon gets into the publisher but um it'll help you with this conversation just it, it's this conversation actually yeah. written out so church project book uh that that should help you get to that as well and then my email uh is j-a-s-o-n-s jason s at churchproject.org jason s at churchproject.org and i'll qualify that by saying we'll put you in a file we'll respond to you when we can yeah well man we appreciate it and hey before we all sign off please don't forget to go to multiplication.org slash roundtables we're putting on roundtables all over north america so let's make it happen right now there's a special price 29 bucks Leaders from all over, the, all over the country are coming together to dialogue around this conversation about race and justice. Hey, Jason, it's been a pleasure, bro. Appreciate you, man, and I look forward to connecting. Thank you guys for having me. Ralph, thanks for the invitation. Myron, great to meet you. I look forward to being around both of you more. This fall, Exponential is hosting roundtable events in cities all across America. These half-day gatherings in smaller settings will allow church leaders to prioritize peer-to-peer conversations and receive practical training on how to prepare their church to lead for racial reconciliation. Exponential Roundtables will help you continue to pursue church multiplication in these challenging times. Find a roundtable near you this fall by visiting multiplication.org.